the Elite Discipline Podcast, a podcast for high-velocity professionals and those aspiring to be them. Today, we've got Certified Financial Planner, Brian Swanson, uh, to talk about Discipline Finance. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me, brother. Hey, thanks for being here. So first Zoom call, really appreciate it. Uh, trying to branch out a little bit more nationally with the podcast. A uh, good friend of mine here. So uh, what I want to discuss today is, is Discipline Finance, and the reason why is Man, we are hurting economically, but if we can kind of tighten, if everyone can just tighten their belt a little bit, I think uh, we'd, we'd all be in a little bit better of a place. But let's start off with a, an introduction. Who are you? What do you do? What's your background? How'd you get here? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've been this, I'm going on 15 years now, I'm independent, uh, running my own company here under our uh, registered investment advisory firm. Uh, you know, we focus on on primarily uh, helping, you know, current and former uh, service members. So we focus on the military, even government employees and contractors here in the D.C. area. So a lot of market here, as you can imagine, a lot of retired military. That's kind of my primary, you know, market. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot to, uh, you know, 15 years of experience crammed into a, you know, 30, 40 minute call is a lot. But, you know, I appreciate, um, you know, starting with a few topics to go over and, you know, this, I, I think the primary thing that we, you know, present to our clients is that our, our focus is to try to make their financial lives easier. And it's just a lot. It's a very daunting process to try to keep all this stuff, you know, in order and organized. And I think uh, elite discipline is, is a very fitting, you know, uh, theme for what I do because that's what financial planning is all about is discipline is, you know, sacrificing some things today for having that security in the future. So, you know, we focus on seven cornerstones uh, as part of any financial plan that's successful uh, from cash management, which is, you know, budgeting, everything that you see on your pay statement. You know, we help you kind of get all that organized and understand the best way to utilize your cash flow. Uh, We do risk management, so all types of insurance. Uh, We cover everything that could possibly be a landmine that could blow up your financial plan in terms of risk, uh, we, you know, investment principles, anything that has to do with investments, allocations, uh, goals within that arena, retirement planning, uh, tax planning, estate planning, and then finally legacy and funny, you know, family assistance. So we kind of walk through that seven step, seven cornerstone process with all of our clients and, and build out a financial plan. So, you know, and, and to a lot of people, it sounds boring and mundane, you know, as a, as a, uh, a career or you know something you do every day, but it's actually amazing to get to know so many different types of people 
different industries, different fields with different experience and just learning about their lives and experiences and getting, you know, different perspectives on a daily basis. So that's what I do. Sure. Yeah. So uh, before we hop into those milestones, because I definitely like to discuss a few of them. Do you feel that military, whether it's active duty or veterans or, um, you know, pretty much anyone that that's coming out of service, we, we all know that that's a different lifestyle, but how are what you see USAA, you see uh, Navy Federal and very specific financial institutions for military is what are the why is it different? Why is military always typically treated a little bit differently financially? Do they have more struggles or uh, is there are there circumstances that much more complicated that you have dedicated financial services for them? Well, I mean, that's a great question. I, I think um, in general, uh, you know, service members make great clients um, compared to just the average civilian because they've learned those key components of, of discipline and, you know, following orders, following guidance, and, and it makes it easier to talk to them and connect with them. Uh, so a lot of these companies and just the fact that they need our assistance, you know, they're in the, for the most part, they're, they're not paid enough for what they do, putting themselves on the line and they need to be able to have a dedicated plan to put aside part of their money every month so that they can, you know, live beyond just what their pension is going to be if they do 20 years, if they retire um, and have that excess, you know, uh, flexibility. So I think, I think it's just, it's a very noble uh, market to serve. And so a lot of companies, I think, focus on that, but um, you know, what I think kind of the difference between like USAA, Navy federal, and what we do is, you know, they're sort of more transactional based. So you call them, call the 800 number and you've got, you know, you reach a person that you're going to talk to, but you don't have sort of a dedicated financial planner. And so we kind of set ourselves apart by just having a dedicated financial planner, a person that you can go to and, and talk to about all these different things. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh, typically you see a higher level of discipline with military or ex-military, but uh, we're here to talk about not just, just military members and their uh, applying elite discipline to their finances, but pretty much everyone. I think the most logical place to start is with the budget. Uh, you hear a lot of people just say, I don't need a budget. I just save at the, the top of the month and then the rest is for me to spend. And, and that may work, but let's talk with the expert here. So what's your, your view on applying discipline to budgeting? Uh, is it necessary? How disciplined do you need to be? How structured? And if you have any tips or, or tricks, apps, structure processes that you want to share to, uh, get people started just being a little bit more disciplined with their budget. Yeah, you know, it, it's critical. It's really kind of the, the the primary foundation of any plan is figuring out where your cash inflows are, what, what your outflows are, and kind of having those organized on a monthly basis. You know, the earlier you start out, you're probably not making as much money, and it's even more important to live below your means. So I think getting in that mindset early on helps you to, you know, grow even when you your income continues to grow staying at that level below your means is just going to allow you to accumulate that much more in savings. So, um, you know, sort of some rules of thumb are we, we try to, you know, coach our clients to put aside 5% of their pay every month toward savings. So emergency savings. So if you make, you know, 10,000 a month, 500 of that should be going into a, a money market savings account for those emergencies. Um, 5% of that should go into risk management. So covering all these potential risks that could, 
blow up your financial plan. And then 10% of that should go toward investments. So that's 20% of your income should be going toward your financial plan. So there's a whole sort of category on the budget that should be dedicated toward your financial plan. So that's sort of our, our rule of thumb. And we've been doing this for our firm for 62 years. And so we've seen what it takes to, to make service members in particular uh, successful down the road is to get into that mindset. Uh, and then, you know, uh, sort of just a general rule of thumb is we like to see people not spend more than about 30% of their income on housing. So whether that's a mortgage or rent, you know, the more you spend on housing, the more you hear that house poor term, and it's just less that you can put toward your financial plan. And, um, so that 30% sort of, you know, I think housing is, is a key piece. And then, you know, the, the app that I like a lot is Mint, uh, which you've probably heard of, uh, you know, Mint is just a, a great way to capture and organize all of your accounts in one place, all of your spending in one place, and then setting up the categories that you can kind of pay closer attention to. Wow, that's a lot more than I thought that was going, going to dining out and eating and bars and things like that. I mean, maybe I should reel that in a little bit. So let's say someone's making forty to $50,000 a year and they're just saying, hey, I can't, I can't save right now. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm barely getting by. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And at the end of the month, I've got pennies left. What do you tell someone in that scenario? Well, it's tougher, you know, when you're, of course, when you don't have enough coming in, you know, to barely cover your basic needs. Um, I, I think that people just have to tighten the belt a little bit more in that, in that case. Um, certainly, they should be focusing on trying to grow that income. You know, do what they can to get certifications, do what they can to build on their, their resume um, to get that income up. Because if you, if you stay at that income level forever, it's going to be really difficult to ever put enough aside. Um, but with that said, I mean, there are lower cost of living areas. There's places, ways you can cut back on your expenses. And, you know, 5% is 5%. So if you are able to, to really be extremely frugal with that lower income, um, start what we call it is paying yourself first. So start putting aside if that's, you know, 4,000 a month, start putting aside, just try to put, you know, uh, $200 of that into a savings account and just try to forget about that every month, sending it directly from your paycheck into a savings account. Try that for three to six months and see if that's working. And before you know it, you could sort of get toward, you know, learning to live without it. Sure. And, and you say a money market account. So can you explain the difference between a money market account, your typical savings account, which I, I don't believe is even keeping up with the rate of inflation anymore for their interest rates. So where, where's the best way to put an emergency fund or where, where should we be saving money right now? Yeah. You know, there's very little difference in terms of interest rates. Interest rates are almost nothing anywhere right now with, with the Fed lowering uh, the prime rate so low. So uh, money market is typically a little bit higher of interest and it's just a good account to have open, especially for when rates do go up in the future, you're going to have a little bit more interest from a money market account versus just a, a, a traditional savings account. The only downside of a money market account is you can only, there are only a certain number of transactions per month that you're allowed to withdraw from that account. So it's more of like a, it sort of forces you to just put money in and leave it there and, and not be pulling money out on a regular basis. Yeah. I love uh, third party applications of discipline there. So that's uh, a, <laughs> that, that's great. So, so let's say we are saving, um, we are putting away that, that 5%, maybe we're even hitting 10% before we jump to the topic of investing your bread and butter. Uh, obviously we've got a big elephant in the room, both 
here in the U.S. and individually as consumers throughout the U.S. and, and really across the world right now, and that's debt. So let's say we do have some consumer debt. So many of us have student loan debt. Not me. Thank you, GI Bill. Uh, but how should we be treating the, that debt? Should we be tackling that like a, a gazelle or whatever Dave Ramsey says, or should we be allocating just a, a certain percentage towards debt on a monthly basis? How do we identify that debt and uh, feel comfortable either carrying it or, or tackling it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's these companies make so much money off of, um, you know, I think people turn a blind eye to how much interest they're paying on things like credit cards and companies just sort of get away with it because it feels like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to, I'll pay this off eventually. But the fact is if you're building your credit card debt up and your income is the same, you know, if you're not ever going to be able to make a dent in that credit card payment. So you've got to focus on, first of all, just keeping the credit cards down or paid off every month. But if you do have some of that debt, that's higher interest, that needs to be really your primary focus of getting, getting that paid off. So let's say you've got 5,000 in credit card debt that's just been sitting there revolving every month. You're paying, you know, probably on the low end, 10 to 12% interest, at least on that credit card. Um, you know, so a lot of people I see make the mistake of, well, I'll let the credit card, just, just leave it alone, let the balance sit there and I'll just invest money every month, but you're not going to earn, you know, 10 to 15% on your investments every year. So you're really losing out by paying that much interest toward a credit card, you know? And so I see that mistake where it's this revolving door. People keep funding their investments, but they're also just sitting on all this credit card debt. And it's sort of counter counterintuitive that it doesn't really work that way. So I think the big focus, if you're sitting on, you know, a lot of credit card debt is you've got to figure out a strategy to pay off the highest interest stuff first. And if you have the ability to maybe even do a debt consolidation loan to get that, get that money, you know, under, a bank so that you can consolidate it, have one monthly fixed payment and have an actual light at the end of the tunnel, knowing that's going to be paid off in three or four or five years. Sure. And along with other loans, whether it's a mortgage or personal loans, are interest rates for these kind of debt consolidation loans pretty low right now? Is, is now the time to do it in this, uh, this time of COVID? Yeah, you know, it is. Um, interest rates are definitely lower on those types of loans, even unsecured loans. If you have the ability to, like, for example, if you have a brokerage or investment account or mutual fund that's in your name, you can do a secured loan against that, that account. And that will actually lower your interest rate way down because now it's a consolidated, it's a secured loan that's less risky to the bank. So if you have the means to do that, that's what we do a lot of for our clients is do a debt consolidation secured against their investments or savings account. If you don't have the means or don't have that type of account set up, for collateral, then you can still do an unsecured loan. And typically it's still going to be a little bit lower than what a credit card interest rate is going to be. Okay. So now we have our, our, our debt consolidated into one single loan. At that mm -hmm. point, it's besides your basic needs, you're throwing everything you got against that. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, you, what you want to do though, is if you do have a debt consolidation loan, let's say it's, you know, again, uh, $10,000, you set it up on a three-year repayment schedule so that you just, you know, pay that monthly. It's a lower interest rate and just let that go just like a regular monthly outflow. 
And then you can focus on saving and investing with your other cash flow. Okay. So we don't have to say, okay, debt, debt is bad and we're, we're going to kill this immediately in two months. I want to pay off $158,000 like everyone does on the Dave Ramsey show. Uh, once we have this under control, we can still focus elsewhere. It sounds like that. Uh, once yeah. that interest rates lower, we can make those incremental payments. We can, you know, set that to automate and, and not worry about, it. we have that situation under control. It is tethered, it is tied down and we can still move forward with our finances elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There, you know, I've, I have seen a lot of people that are tempted to like pull out of their investment accounts, even retirement accounts, uh, to pay off credit card and debt and things like that. And what I've seen is that it just doesn't work out well because now you've taken principal out of an account that's going to average seven, eight, nine percent easily per year over the long term. You'll never recover that principal that you've taken out. And then typically what people do is they just they pay off their credit card debts. And then three months later, six months later, they're back to having more credit card debt. So it comes back to that discipline and making sure that you know you are able to pay off your credit cards monthly. If you do pay them off, keep them paid off, cut them up, make sure that you're not using them until you can get on a, a strict you know, budget of living within your means, living on your cash flow and not living on credit cards. I mean, it sounds like that's that's the problem. That's how they started this issue to begin with is, is lack of discipline. Before we jump into this this investing part, the, the mindset of finance now has has rapidly changed uh, probably from your grandparents, your great grandparents, generations of being more frugal um, and disciplined with their money to uh, lifestyle of look at me and, you know, I may not own it. It's a lease, but no one knows the difference on Instagram. How do we start changing the mindset of discipline with with our finances? How do we uh, how do we convince people that the you you're not going to die tonight. Chances are statistically, and sorry if you do like to everyone listening, if, if tonight's your night, sorry. Um, <laughs> but you know, Godspeed and good luck. Uh, but you know, the sun's going to rise in the morning. So it's not always the best decision just to live for today. How do we start changing that mindset back to uh, planning ahead? Yeah, it's really difficult. And, you know, it really starts, I really wish there was more education early on in schools and things instead of learning about crap that we're you know, never going to use in the future. You know, I, I, a lot of organizations and planners are out there contributing their time to educating younger people about this because now is more critical than ever. With our parents and grandparents' generation, they had pensions. They didn't live as long. They had some security and social security and things that we probably aren't going to be able to enjoy in our retirement years. And so now more than ever, it's so important for people in their twenties, thirties and forties to be saving and taking care of themselves because there aren't going to be these security, you know, blankets for people in the future, like pensions. Um, you know, so every company is going away from the, the guaranteed income and the defined benefit plan and going toward the defined contribution plan, which means you put in 5%, we'll match you 5% but you got to put that 5% in or else you're never going to get any benefit from that employer. So it's all about this. I think educating people early on doing things like you're doing, you know, putting out, um, you know, podcasts and things. And, and so people can start to learn the the basics of what they need to do for themselves. So it's really difficult. It's a really, it's a, it's something that even our government should probably be focusing more on um, of trying to 
you know, force, um, you know, schools and things to, to, to really come up with a curriculum to help young people understand this early on. Yeah. And, and you hear that a lot and it's just not happening yet. Um, just the basics of, of financial planning, of budgeting and even, even taxes. So we learn all this arithmetic and, you know, we still don't even know what we're paying out in our taxes. No one's doing a pay stub analysis. Uh, no one is, is doing a, a monthly income versus spend plan or anything like that. I think that'd be super useful. I think it probably starts in the, in the home with the parents having these conversations early. Uh, I think that finance is still taboo uh, for all you, you know, new relationship people out there. Why don't you uh, sit down at dinner and, and start talking salaries and see how uh, uncomfortable that conversation gets really quickly mm-hmm. with your significant other. However, these are important conversations to have. It shouldn't be taboo. This is the, you know, like it or not, money is the lifeblood of society. And uh, we have to use it right now. We have to make it. We have to spend it in order to get by unless you want to be a hermit in the cave. These conversations should not be taboo. This should be out there. No one should feel ashamed of where they're at financially. It's about transparent communication. Um, and that's going to be the only way it grows. So whether it's with parents to their children or uh, educators to their students or significant others with each other who are trying to plan a future, these conversations shouldn't be taboo. I think that mindset still exists, but it should be waning at this point. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, let's jump into your bread and butter. Let's talk investing. So, I mean, investing, that is a huge, huge word to people who don't understand that. It's scary. You know, you're, you're putting money in and, and you're just hoping, right? Is, is Wall Street a gamble? Are you just rolling the dice? Or, you know, what, what is investing? Let's say I never invested before and I've got my debt under control. I have no debt. I uh, make a solid income. I have an emergency fund and now I'm like, all right, it's time to invest. Everyone's investing. Where do I start? Yeah, you know, so again, it goes back to that, say, 10% uh, as, a, as a baseline of what you should put aside. And, and, you know, there's all these different resources and things online that you can look up, you know, what's the growth of, you know, $100 a month or, or $200 a month? What does that what does that look like 20, 30, 40 years from now? And I always tell people that your greatest asset is time. Time is the only, is the greatest you know, variable you can control starting to save as early as possible. And when you look at those long-term, you know, compound interest charts, it's just amazing to see how much further your dollar goes when you start early and continually increase that contribution uh, over time. So as your pay goes up, you want you put more than 10% in, you start putting more and more away and you'll start to see your, your dollars, you know, compound and, and multiply so quickly. So, you know, again, I, I there's sort of three I think three variables that you can really control in your investment lifetime. It's how early you start, how much you put in and how often you increase your contributions. Those are the only three variables that you can actually control every other variable, whether it's tax rates or inflation or rates of return, these things are really beyond your control. If you have a good strategy, a good mutual fund or ETF exchange traded fund in place that you're just putting money into every month, um, you know, your, the rates of return are going to be relatively irrelevant long-term because every mutual fund is going to be, you know, pretty much the same. So you're going to, if you have a strategy in place, it's all about the, those three, you know, components that you can control. So 
you said mutual fund, you said ETFs, I hear 401k, Roth, traditional, there's a lot of terms out there. How do you suggest someone starts learning where to put their money? Is it working with a professional? Is it just going straight robo advisor? Let me hop on Robin hood and put everything I have in Apple. Uh, how, how do you start formulating a plan of investing? Yeah. So again, I think it comes back to, you know, people need to make a decision on whether they're going to delegate this to a professional or if they're going to do all the research on their own and try to figure out all of this stuff on their own. There's, there are a lot of resources out there, but it's, it's nearly impossible and there aren't enough hours in the day for you to do what you do at a high level, you know, focus on your career, your family and juggle all that and find the time in your spare time to do all the research and learning and things that, that I've done over the last 15 years. Um, and so of course I'm biased cause I do this for a living, but I've seen so many people make just endless mistakes trying to navigate this on their own. So if you're early, if you're just starting out in your career, you just want to get started on investing, you know, go to Vanguard's website or Fidelity's website. And there are resources about, you know, um, what different types of accounts exist, whether it's a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA, your 401k through work. Um, and then whether you want to invest in either a mutual fund or an ETF, there are lots of things you can read about and just get something started. And it's pretty easy just to start an account on one of those online accounts and at least just to get something rolling. But I think long-term you have to look at, at the big picture and figure out here are all these moving parts that exist. Those seven cornerstones of financial planning. Do I have the time to not only just pick a fund to invest in, but make sure I navigate through all those other pieces on my own as well. So I think that's kind of the critical decision initially is, do I want to try to be a do-it-yourselfer and, and manage all this myself, or do I want to delegate it to a professional? And I always use sort of the example of, you wouldn't likely represent yourself in a court case. You would probably pay an attorney, but you know, it's cheaper to represent yourself, but if it's, you know, you may not get the best outcome if you do all the research and work and, and try to represent yourself. So I, I always try to, you know, focus, have people focus on doing what they're good at and delegating this, this complex, you know, piece to us. I think that's a great analogy. Uh, if you do manage your own finances, just like you, uh, might try to, uh, litigate your own case, you could just wind up imprisoned uh, the rest of your life, whether it's uh, through crippling poverty or uh, behind bars. But let's let's pivot just a little bit. Uh, we've been talking about the basics and just starting, but uh, uh, the conversation of having uh, financial counsel is, is really important, right? So this podcast is for more of the seasoned professional, the high-velocity uh, corporate professional. The way I look at this is the way I look at a lot of things. I wouldn't necessarily call myself frugal, but I would call myself financially aware. However, my time is worth more than going out and mowing the lawn for two hours on a Saturday, or it's worth more than, you know, some of some more menial tasks. So if I put a dollar amount against my hourly wage, it's going to be higher than what I would be spending to uh, get a third party to cover that down. As long as I'm delivering value with that time, uh, as a more seasoned professional, as, as someone who is aspiring to uh, continue building their own career and their professional reputation, I think it's important to understand how much your time is actually worth and when you should be delegating 
that time that you could be sorting through ETFs that you may not be the the subject matter expert on or sorting through, you know, you know, um, this new IPO that you want to invest in and actually delegating that to a professional who it is their job. That is their 24 seven. That is their mindset. So I, I'm able to do what I do best to continue growing my own career and growing my own professional reputation. So I, I think that is, do you see more, you know, wealthy or successful professionals actually handing the responsibility of their finances off? Because at, at some point it's just gotta be too much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, we've seen a lot of different scenarios over the years and almost every time when you look at our clients who are the most successful clients or it's the ones that completely hand over the reins and just, and just let us do our job versus the ones who really, um, you know, get involved and question everything and, and, and make decisions on their own. They sort of get in their own way and we find them always falling behind. And so it's just what we've seen, um, you know, over the years is that the people that are more financially successful have less time to do, to work on this stuff um, are the ones that delegate and are definitely the ones that are more successful. Yeah. And I, I think we all see it. Um, you, you build a team when, once you get to a certain point, you don't want to just be that solo player anymore. You build a team. So uh, the more successful you are, the more you need protection, but also optimization and uh, adding a team around you is, is super important sure I'll discuss that at a uh, at a later podcast but just like you yeah, said yeah you bring up a good point there cuz that's that's really you know um one of the one of the greatest things that we're able to do for our clients is sort of we're, I'm not the expert in everything but I'm a wrangler of experts who I can bring together a mortgage lender a real estate agent a tax preparer and a estate planner people that are world class professionals in all these different areas I've got a great relationship with those people and so I pull them together into the financial planning process. So the clients don't have to go out and interview different attorneys and different tech, you know, CPAs and things. Cause they can just ask me who to go to and I can, I can bring that professional in. So that's a critical piece. Yeah. I think that's a, that is great advice to, to the more advanced professional, uh, build the right team around you. And then even if you don't know the answer, someone next to you will, um, and, and using that resource is super important. Uh, Talking about mindset, though, something I want to bring up, and we both know people uh, with this mindset versus a more disciplined mindset. So uh, let's talk about YOLO culture really quickly. So why save? Why invest? Hey, man, I'm going to die tonight. You know, live fast, die young. Can't take it with you. I mean, I hear that all the time. You can't take it with you. Yeah, but no one no one knows when you're going. Um, <laughs> yeah. How, how do we... What do you say to people that are like, hey, you only live once, can't take it with you? Yeah, you know, the majority of those people aren't aren't going to be the best clients anyway, but I think we can, I do my best to try to change that mindset. You know, we've seen, again, a lot of experiences in, in our clients' lives over the years, and I've had a lot of people that, you know, they start out working, they love their career, they say, hey, I never plan to retire, I want to just work forever because I love what I'm doing. Well, that's great, you know, but in reality, the older you get, you may not be able to or want to or be willing to work till you're 75, you know, and, and, and the reality is we're living longer and longer, you know, people are going to live longer than they necessarily think they are uh, when they're when they're young. And so my goal is to try to get people to focus on that, that end result. 
And the reality is, is that 90% of Americans don't ever take financial planning seriously. Only 10% do. And it's, it's always been that way. If I can get that 10% to 11 or 12, you know, that's sort of my goal, but it's never going to be the vast majority of Americans because it's just so easy to spend above your means, enjoy things. You know, I want it now and I'm not willing to sacrifice things, but you know, if we can help that 10% base, you know, that does take this seriously, uh, you know, get to the next level. I think that's, that's kind of our critical, our goal. And again, you know, just because you think you're going to, you're not going to live a long time, or if you think you're going to want to work forever, the reality is what I've seen is that people want to have options when they're in their late fifties, sixties, they want to have flexibility to travel more and not be forced to go out there and earn a paycheck because they may not be willing to, or be able to. Yeah. I'll leave the, uh, truly philosophical question of, can money buy you happiness? I'll leave that alone, but I think what it can buy you is freedom. And to me, that sounds a lot like happiness. And we so often lose track that we're just completely stuck in this consumer behavior that is trapping us in this debt where you feel like you have to work. Oh man, I've got another payment coming up. I've got all rents due. And, and what uh, having a financial plan allows you to do is it's not worry about those things. And then at that point, maybe you want to do something else. Maybe you want to live a completely different life and you've given yourself, like you said, that option to do it. You can leave that job. You can leave that lease and, uh, and do whatever you want, but that doesn't happen overnight, right? Exponential growth. So it takes 20, 30, 40 years. So start now, start early, start as much as you can, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's critical. I mean, it's just, it's amazing for me to see, you know, those clients that that start out early on, it feels like it's never going to happen, but you getting to that first million is kind of like the, is kind of like the first goal. It's like, I got to get to a million dollars saved because that's going to be, that's going to be, you know, what, what's going to get me to financial success. But once you get to that first million, the fact is the second million and the third million happen so quickly. And so that's why it's so important to start early because if you start, you know, when you're in your late thirties or early forties, it's really, it's almost impossible to ever catch up to that person who started in their twenties. So again, it's just that mindset, just getting people to focus on, on the longer term uh, is the best we can do. But in reality, again, the majority of people are, are just always going to take the easier path by spending everything they have now and just worrying about the future later. Yeah. And at risk of sounding detached from the people, um, a million ain't what it used to be. So you, you have to start earlier now and, and rapid inflation is going to take over eventually. Uh, look at, look at just the housing market. A million dollars doesn't go as far as it once, uh, was able to do. So, but once you hit that, that growth is going to continue just snowball and snowball. So mm-hmm. is, should that be, you know, let's say you've got, you're killing it. You, you're, you know, mid twenties, upper twenties, you're making six figures. You just broke in six figures, maybe middle management is, should that be your, your first kind of mid range goal, million dollars savings or in my brokerage account, in my portfolio, is that your initial goal or do, should we start breaking these goals down even smaller? Hey, this year I want to save or what, like, let's say you have no debt. You're making six figures. You're making a hundred thousand dollars. You're 27 years old. What's your goal? Yeah. And there's a, there's a simple exercise sort of to figure out um, how much you need to have accumulated at retirement uh, based on that. So let's say, 
let's say you're you're making 120,000 a year now just for for easy math, 10,000 a month and you want to be able to maintain that income forever whether you're working or not. Well, what does that mean? That means you have to build a portfolio that at some point is going to deliver replace that paycheck for you so you don't have to keep making that 120,000. So the easy way to to figure out what your number is that you need to have at the end of the road is um, take your your annual income that you want to replace and you divide that by the the distribution rate that you think you can take in retirement, which I just use 4% for easy math. So if you take that 120,000, divide it by 4%, that's a $3 million portfolio that you have to have to, to generate that income that you'll need. And this is assuming you have no pension, you know, no social security, just to be on the ultra conservative side. So again, if you're making that hundred thousand, that hundred thousand would be two and a half million based on that formula. Yeah, I think anyone listening just pulled out a calculator to figure out their number. Um, <laughs> I mean, that that's probably the best way. Set set a goal that is quantifiable that you can actually see an, a number because that that number is a finish line. Um, if you keep your goals too vague, you'll never hit them because you're just shooting into the clouds. So I think that's a, that's awesome advice right there. So let me ask you, time of COVID right now, markets are low. Where, where, where should we be putting our money right now? Well, you know, it really depends on, I guess, your, your timeline. Again, if we're talking to mostly people that are in their 30s, 40s, they're, you know, at least 10, 20 plus years away from retirement, I'd stay aggressive. You know, we, we know that things are going to go up and down, but most important is your, your dollar cost averaging every single month you're putting money into an aggressive portfolio. And even my older clients that are really close to retirement or in retirement, I've really never backed them down off the equities too far, maybe 80% stock and 20% bonds, you know, to be sort of that barbell approach, if you will. But, you know, for, for you and I, people in their thirties, you know, I, I think we stay aggressive at this time, unless you tell me you need that some of that capital for a home down payment or a car next year, then I would say put it in the bank. <laughs> Let's not gamble or take any risk if you need money in the next year or two. But if we're talking five plus years of when you're going to need your nest egg or your money to, to you know, produce income for you, stay aggressive, 190 to 100% equity, because we know, you know, the market's going to ebb and flow. We've got an election coming up. We've got COVID. We still have Brexit. There's just all these worldwide concerns, but over the long term, we've been through all this and it's not different this time. You know, you can look back a hundred years at historical recession chart and see that, you know, yeah, every seven years on average, we have a recession, but what happens following recession? It's always the quickest recover, the further the recession or the quickest the recession happens, the quicker the recovery is. And so you don't want to miss out on those opportunities to to get piece of that recovery even if you lose a little bit in the short term yeah absolutely uh so it's time for the the question of all questions what does elite discipline mean to you how would you define elite discipline and you can apply this financially or you can apply this just overall however you want but those two word two words elite discipline what do they mean to you yeah, you know, I just think just a broad uh, definition to me would be just staying the course, even when times get rough, um, you know, and continuing to see a light at the end of the tunnel. We all know we're going to go through adversity in school. Just staying the course and staying on your path and your annual goals um, is going to pay off long term. So that's something I've just ingrained in myself 
from early on in my career just to never give up, never take your foot off the pedal and just constant focus on growing and building on your skill set. So, um, you know, never being content, never just getting on a plateau and saying, okay, I'm good. I'm done. You should always keep kind of pushing to the next level. That's, that's sort of how I see it. Yeah. Never settle, never surrender. Uh, absolutely. Where can people find you, Brian, if they want to invest with you, if they've got questions, if they want to uh, connect professionally, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, um, Brian Swanson, uh, email is blswanson at firstcommand.com. I'm happy to chat, even if it's just, you know, quick conversation or any, you know, quick questions. I'm always available to try to help people get to the next level. Hey, that's that's great. Really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and speaking with us about uh, some discipline finance. I'd love to have you on a future episode, uh, maybe discuss uh, kind of creating a business or anything like that. I know uh, you're very experienced with that as well. So uh, I'd love to have you on future episodes and uh, really appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Appreciate it.